looking at one of my commentaries, one of my favorite commentaries on John is from J.C. Ryle. You've heard me mention him before. And he, he admits right at the outset um, that it really is kind of a fruitless endeavor to add any words to this beautiful passage. Um, he says it is like, and I love the picture that he give, gave, uh, adding, adding expository thoughts and words to this story is like gilding gold and painting lilies. Um, I guess gilding is what you, you know, put a little gold overlay or something, all right? So it's like putting a gold overlay over gold or trying to paint, you know, beautiful colors onto a, a lily that's already beautifully painted. And so, um, so with that thought in mind, I thought it would be good for us to just read the passage, for me to read the passage to you, and then to just give a couple of observations and thoughts in particular about death and about the resurrection, about death and the resurrection. And so I invite you to John chapter 11, verse 1, and I'll read through the whole uh, chapter. And I would like us to stand to do this. We do this on occasion. We stand for the reading. Janet reminded me yesterday, I love when we stand to read the passage. And I said, tomorrow it's 57 verses. <laughs> so we'll see how long we, we last here. So John chapter 11, beginning of verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with an ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, 
but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come to her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there is an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. 
and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the reading of God's word, and we say, thanks be to God. Indeed, God, we thank you that you, that you hear, and we thank you that you speak to us in your word. And we just pray here in the next few moments, having heard your word, that your, the truth of this passage will speak deeply into our hearts and our souls. And may it change us and change our perspective in our view on life and this world. We ask that you do this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen. You may have your seat. This here in John 11, we have the final of Jesus's signs that he had given all throughout John's gospel to who he is as the son of God, as the Christ and as the Messiah. He had claimed to be the bread of life. He had claimed to be the water of life. He had claimed to be the light of life. And here he says that he is life himself and that he is the one who gives life. And this resurrection that we see of Lazarus here anticipates his own life giving death and his resurrection at the end of this chapter. And so two thoughts that I have concerning this. One is about death and one is about the resurrection. What is death? Well, that is the termination of physical life. And that termination of physical life comes about because of the sin, the entrance of sin into the world. Death is an enemy. Paul says it's the last enemy in 1 Corinthians 15. Death was not... Uh, originally a normal part of life. The Bible doesn't uh, kind of deify death, and uh, death is a, is a very serious thing. Our very first human couple, Adam and Eve, uh, could have lived forever had they been obedient to what God had covenanted them to do. The London Baptist Confession of Faith puts it like this, God created humanity upright, He gave them a righteous law that would have been life to them if they had kept it. But it threatened death if they had broken it. Of course, this comes from Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The statement goes on and says, Yet they did not remain uh, for long in this position of honor. Satan used the craftiness of the serpent to seduce Eve, who then seduced Adam. Adam acted without any outside compulsion and deliberately transgressed the law of their creation and the command given them by eating the forbidden fruit. This is how death comes into the world. 
Death is a menace. It's an enemy. It's the source of sin. It's depicted in 1 Corinthians 15 as uh, the result of a sting, like a lethal insect sting. In another analogy from the work world, that death is the result of uh, our work for sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You work for sin, your payment is death. And death came into the world, as we said, through, through Adam. Paul, elsewhere in Romans chapter 5, says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Reading again from that confession statement. By this sin, our first parents fell from their original righteousness and communion with God. We fell in them. And through this, death came upon all. All became dead in sin and completely defiled in all capabilities and parts of soul and body. By God's appointment, they were the root and the representatives of the whole human race. Because of this, the guilt of their sin was accounted, and their corrupt nature passed on to all their offspring who descended from them by ordinary procreation. Their descendants are now conceived in sin, and by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, partakers of death, and all their miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord sets them free. So sin came into the world and death came into the world through sin. And this affects all of us. All of us carry it in a way in our DNA from Adam. It's part of our fallen nature. It's a part of our sinful condition. And it's universal. Comes to all. Everyone eventually. And it's irreversible, apart from the miracle of God. There's no reincarnation. You know, death is just a transition to another state, a transition to another state. Death coming once for all is an entrance either into heaven or to hell after the judgment. The writer of Hebrews says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. What does death mean? Well, for death for unbelievers is not a good thing. Separation from God, eternal punishment. But death for Christians is entrance into the presence of God. So much so, Jesus even uses this euphemism for death, and I believe that he's applying this not as a general description or a general euphemism for for death. Um, I think he's applying this to, to Christians, to believers in him. Remember how Jesus said of Lazarus, he's fallen asleep, and I'll go and awaken him. 
Now, I've, I've often thought that that fallen asleep euphemism for death was kind of a, a, a general principle. I, I don't, I, maybe Jesus is coining this. The disciples are often a little slow. I don't think that they're this slow. Because when Jesus says of Lazarus that they had fallen asleep, the disciple, well, if he's going to sleep, he's just going to recover. He'll just sleep it off. And Jesus was speaking about his death. And they thought he meant that he was taking a, a rest and sleep. Again, the disciples are slow. I'm not sure that they're that slow. Maybe Jesus is, is coining this euphemism for death as sleep. To which Jesus then flatly says to them, Jesus, he's dead. But what I think is interesting about this passage is how often in the face of this that Jesus, uh, Jesus knows, several times in John's gospel, we have Jesus knowing the thoughts of people. We know their actions beforehand. And that when Jesus gets news about Lazarus' sickness, he knows what is going to come of it. And he doesn't prevent it from happening. Did you notice that? He intentionally stays back. They sent word to Jesus in verse 3, sisters, Lazarus's sisters do. The one whom you love is ill. And Jesus says this illness will not lead to death. But it did lead to death. What did Jesus mean here? Notice in verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he rushed back to Judea to go and stop his sickness from getting any worse. You notice he doesn't say that? You notice he doesn't intervene to prevent death in this case. He doesn't intervene. He intentionally stays back. And it isn't that he know, doesn't know about Lazarus. He told them that he was going to die. He even says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus is, is fallen asleep and he means reference to his death. Jesus waited on hearing news about Lazarus' illness. He knew it was going to lead to death and he didn't do anything. He knew Lazarus would die. Which is another reminder for us that Jesus' delay means that he knows, he knows the right time when to help. He knows what is the best time to help, and he knows when is the, the best time to help. Jesus could have stopped it. He, he had given many demonstrations all throughout his gospel of his signs uh, and his miracles, and he could have stopped it, and he chose not to. Even Martha knew that Jesus could prevent it. Notice what she says in verse 20 and 21, Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha knew that. You could have prevented this, but Jesus didn't. Not only did Martha know this, Mary knew this. Notice verse 32. When Mary rushes out to meet Jesus on the road, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could have prevented it, and you didn't. And notice even in the, the scoffer's uh, response, after Jesus' uh, famous shortest passage of the Bible where Jesus weeps, 
And the Jews said, see how much he loves him. And the scoffers in verse 37 said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Notice the, the prevention. The assumption is the prevention. Gee, surely he would have had the power to stop the guy from dying. Even in, with his powers of a man who was born blind, causing him to see. They clearly were not aware of what Jesus' true power was. And that his power was resurrection. The resurrection. That's the reason why Jesus does not stop. That is the reason why Jesus delays. Is he's letting the result of sin run its course in the world. So that God's glory might be displayed. Why? In stopping bad things from happening. Or raising people from the dead. If it is true that the scriptures say that death is the last enemy and it's the last enemy that will be defeated, then the only way that it can be defeated is by resurrection. Jesus doesn't stop it because he's going to display the glory of the resurrection. Now, what is the resurrection? There, throughout the, the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's even some hints and pictures of this, especially in Daniel, that there's going to be a general resurrection of all people uh, on the last day. And that's hinted at here, even in Martha's words with Jesus. When Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again, Martha's response isn't a surprise. It isn't... Um, Curiosity to know what Jesus uh, means. She says in verse 24, I know, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. The idea here is a, a general resurrection of all people, believers and unbelievers. That, that the unbelievers will be raised to eternal punishment. The believers will be raised to eternal life. Martha understands this idea about the general resurrection. But notice what Jesus says to her, these crucial moments in this passage. Jesus said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die and then as Jesus often did, in presenting this truth, the eternal truth of God, he says, and do you believe this? Friends, do you believe this? Do you believe that the true ultimate victory, the ultimate declar declaration of God's glory is found after we die. All of us will face it one day. 
or another, some sooner than later. But all of us will face it. The question is, do you believe that God is most glorified in the prevention of it or in his victory over it through the resurrection? How is God most glorified in the face of death? In the prevention of it or the victory over it? Jesus here is saying, this is, my, this is my final sign. Next we get from John's gospel, we get into chapter 12 and 13, and it's his last week. And all through his ministry, John has presented these signs, and now he's giving this kind of final sign. And it's like a, a type or a picture of what Jesus' resurrection is going to be. And then it's a type of picture of the resurrection that everybody will receive. But it's even more a picture of the resurrection life that believers will receive. Eternal life, a sinless life in the presence of God forever. God is glorified in the resurrection to the resurrection to life for all who would believe in his son Jesus Christ. Is that you? God's word says to us today, Jesus says to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? May we say what Martha says, Yes, Lord, I believe.